I did a little informal survey this week on Facebook, and some of you responded, and I appreciate that. The question was, in what situations or with what types of people do you feel like you're beating your head against the wall? Sort of a dangerous question because some people like to name names when it comes to that. I I said be nice in parentheses, but you know what it's like to beat your head against the wall with certain people or in certain situations or in certain areas of your life. Here here are some of the responses that I got. One young man who is a, a teacher, he says, as an educator, nothing frustrates me more than parents who don't care and don't set certain levels of expectations for their children. Those of you who have been educators or are still, you totally understand how that feels. Another person said, I beat my head against the wall with people who consider themselves always right. They're always right, no matter what. You can't convince them otherwise. One person said, I I have a colleague who is always the victim, always playing the victim. Everybody has done her wrong in every situation. And I, I got this again, victims. They're victims of everything. They never see a speck of light or any kind of goodness whatsoever. Which is followed up by three different people who said they beat their head against the wall with negative people. Just drives them crazy. Somebody said uh, people who come to work with their head down on their cell phones and that's how they remain every chance they get all day long at work. Another said the type of people who don't compromise. It's their way or no way. Another person said they beat their head against the wall with lukewarm Christians. They said either be one or don't. Isn't that interesting? Argumentative people were another person's proverbial wall. Very creative people. Here's here's an interesting one. Somebody said very creative people who can't focus on the task and the deadline. I give them instructions to follow and they simply can't do it. You beat your head against the wall. You know what it's like. You've told people. You can go ahead, but you're just going to beat your head against the wall. Uh, You know, I I was doing this, and it was just like I was beating my head against the wall. You, You have been there. In fact, you were there this week with that same person, that same situation. Maybe it was somebody in your family, and you're sitting next to them right now. They don't even know. Don't tell them. They... They don't even know that they're the reason that you beat your head against the wall all the time. We're five weeks into our series called Go. And and it's been a while since we began this now. And, and if you were with us the very first week, and if you weren't, let me catch up. The very first week, and, and you'll see the cards here on the board. I gave you a card... That, that we were to identify what we're calling our, our one for ten. Our one person, our one group, that in the ten weeks of this particular series, that that's who we're praying for, that's who we're, we're asking God to open doors, that's who we're seeking opportunities to maybe talk to. Jesus said, go and make disciples, and we identified one person or group that God has put on our heart to say, you know what, I, this is who I'm going to try to do something about. And but it's been five weeks now since you did that, and, and maybe you've forgotten a little bit, you know, that's escaped you, or you weren't even here that week, and so you haven't done that. Or maybe you wrote that name down, and now you wish you hadn't, because all you've done for five weeks is beat your head against the same wall that you knew you were going to when you wrote their name down. You, you know, all right, you know, preacher, I'll play along, and I'll put something on there, because you told us to, and okay, I'll make the board look nice, and all of that. But all I'm doing is beating my head against the wall. What in the world is the point? This series has some very simple goals. My, my goal in this has been to increase our understanding, to increase our motivation, 
and to increase our application of living life on mission for Jesus. What does it look like to live in a missional kind of way? That's my goal. How can we be more motivated and then how can we actually do the things that we're motivated to do? So far, we've identified that one for ten. We've looked at the things we'll need to leave behind in order to get to where God wants us to be so we can help to reach those people. We've looked at the fact that they're going to drive you crazy but love them anyway. And then last week, we asked God to bother us with what bothers Him, to really put something on our heart that we say, I've got to do something about this. It wouldn't be fair in this series if all I did was simply try to pump you up and say, all right, now just go get them. It wouldn't be fair if I didn't give you all the angles to what might happen as you begin this process of making disciples. I could tell you that, listen, nothing's ever going to get in your way, that that you're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. And I could quote scripture and I could do all those things and give you one side of the story. I've kind of hinted at the other side of the story when we talked about Moses and the fact the Israelites drove him crazy. We're going to go a step further today. Because sometimes living on mission for the Lord, Being a spiritual leader or companion for the people that you interact with regularly, sometimes you're just going to beat your head against the wall. Now, how's that for pastoral encouragement this morning? Isn't it wonderful to come to church and looking for a word from God, and all you get is, you know what, sometimes all you're going to do with the people in your life that you know God has called you to and sent you to, all you're going to do is beat your head against the wall. Let me just tell you, sometimes that's the way it's going to go. I don't have a whole lot else for you today, I'll be honest with you, other than that. Sometimes you're just simply going to beat your head against the wall. Is that what God has called you to do? It might be. I'm just going to warn you up front. It could be. We're going to look at a guy this morning that if anybody knew about this kind of spiritual leadership, he's called to a group of people and God told him, you know what, your mission is simply to beat your head against the wall. God told him to do it. And he said, nothing's going to change. That's what you're going to do for the next 22 years. Beat your head against the wall. And what would you have done? <laughs> Besides laugh at God. Oh, <laughs> that's kind of funny. Really, what do you want me to do? Honestly, I just want you to beat your head against the wall for the next 22 years. Um, no, I really would rather not do that. I mean, how many people would willingly sign up? And yet, a man we'll see in the scripture did exactly that and was obedient to that kind of call in his life. And we're going to find this morning, I believe, not only the fact that sometimes life is like that, but some great encouragement from a man who was there, who did that, and who understood what it's like. Ezekiel is the man, if you'll turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, it's one of the prophets over in the Old Testament. If you don't know where that is, then I would encourage you to take the opportunity to look in the table of contents of your Bible if you brought one. You'll see Old and New Testament. You'll see in the Old Testament a book called Ezekiel. It's right after Lamentations. We're going to begin this morning in the second chapter, spill over into the third, and then pick it apart just a little bit. If you've got a smartphone or a tablet... This is easy to find. You just tap that in there. No excuse not to look at the scripture this morning. I hope that you will. What what would you do if your calling was, like this man will see, simply 
to beat your head against the wall. Ezekiel was called, just as a matter of history, was called to be a prophet at about the age of 30. In fact, he had trained and was going to be a priest, someone who would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people and, and honestly would be valued by the people. They would have liked him because he was going to go to God on their behalf. Instead, what God called him to do, right in the same year that he was supposed to rise to be this, this priest on behalf of the people, God says, no, nope, that's not what you're going to do. You're going to be a prophet and you're going to speak my words to a bunch of people who don't want to hear what you have to say. I would have chosen the priesthood at that point. I would have said, God, no, really, I've trained for this. It's what I'm going to do. God says, no, I'm sending you to the Israelites, he says, people who refuse to operate like they're my people, but that's who I'm sending you to. And the truth is that all of us have people just like what we'll see. And when you look with me, verse 1 of chapter 2, we get the calling of Ezekiel. He said to me, this is Ezekiel saying what God said to him. God said to him, son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak with you. As he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet, and I listened to the one who was speaking to me. He said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites and to the rebellious nations who have rebelled against me. The Israelites and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this day. The, ch the children are obstinate and hard-hearted. I am sending you to them. And you must say to them, This is what the Lord God says. Whether they listen or refuse to listen, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. But you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words, though briars and thorns are beside you and you live among scorpions. Don't be afraid of their words or be discouraged by the look on their faces, for they are a rebellious house. But speak my words to them, whether they listen or refuse to listen, for they are rebellious. And you, son of man, listen to what I tell you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. So I looked and saw a hand reaching out to me, and there was a written scroll in it. When he unrolled it before me, it was written on the front and back. Words of lamentation, mourning, and woe were written on it. He said to me, Son of man, eat what you find here. Eat this scroll, and then go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he fed me the scroll. Son of man, he said to me, eat and fill your stomach with this scroll I am giving you. So I ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. For you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language, but to the house of Israel. You are not being sent to many peoples of unintelligible speech or difficult language, whose words you cannot understand. No doubt, if I sent you to them, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not want to listen to you because they do not want to listen to me. For the whole house of Israel is hard-headed and hard-hearted. Look, I have made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. I have made your forehead like a diamond, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or discouraged by the look on their faces, even though they are a rebellious house. Next he said to me, Son of man, listen carefully. To all my words that I speak to you and take them to heart, go to your people, the exiles, and speak to them. Tell them this is what the Lord God says, whether they listen or refuse to listen. How's that for a calling of God? I mean, this, this sets up the whole rest of the book of Ezekiel. And for 22 years, that's what he's going to do. He's going to go to people who are rebellious, hard-headed, hard-hearted, and don't want to listen. And God says, go anyway. You have people just like that in your life. I want to talk with you this morning about the, the so-called Israelites, if you will, in your life. The kinds of people that God is talking about, he sent Ezekiel to, you have those kinds of people in your life as well. And here's what they're going to be like. First of all, 
they will resist the authority they claim to acknowledge. They will resist the authority they claim to acknowledge. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2 again. He said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites and to the rebellious nations who have rebelled against me. The Israelites and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this day. Now when he says Israelites, he's talking about the chosen people of God. The people who should readily give in to the authority of God. After all, he had made them a nation, called them out of slavery in Egypt, set them up, and had been so gracious and good to them, he had showered his blessings on them, and all they do is rebel against him. They knew all about God. They knew all the stories. They'd been born and raised in it. I mean, they could tell you every single thing. In fact, many of them had memorized large portions of the Old Testament. They knew every Sunday school answer, if you will. They won the Bible drill as kids. But look what God says about them. In chapter 2, verse 3, He calls them rebellious and says they've transgressed. Chapter 2, verse 5, they're rebellious house. Chapter 2, verse 6, they are rebellious. Chapter 2, verse 7, they're rebellious. Chapter 2, verse 8, don't be like that rebellious house. Chapter 3, verse 7, they're stubborn and obstinate. God over and over and over says they're rebellious, they're rebellious, they're rebellious. They resist the authority that they claim to acknowledge. That sin of rebellion is one of... Revolt, revolution, throwing off authority. The essence of their rebellion is their refusal to submit to God's sovereignty in their lives and His authority over them. They claim to know about God, to even be in some kind of relationship with Him, and yet they still want to do what they want to do. I'm convinced that's one of the main problems we have as Christians or at least as we claim to be Christians, that we claim a faith that we don't give into, that we resist an authority that we claim to acknowledge. It's one of the biggest problems that I see in Christianity, and I'm not even talking about people outside of Christianity. I'm talking about the people who claim to be the people of God. God says, I'm sending you to people who claim to know me but resist my authority. Maybe you've got somebody in your life like that. Maybe God will put somebody on your heart this morning. They're convinced they know God. But they would tell you, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know Him. God, yeah, it's cool. Jesus, yeah, He he died for my sins, right? But there's nothing about them that give themselves over to that authority. You realize there's a difference between knowing who Jesus is and actually submitting your life to Him. The essence of salvation is submission to Jesus Christ wholeheartedly and completely. It's not knowing a few facts or being able to recite some Bible stories. None of that is inherently wrong, but that's not the essence of salvation. And dealing with people who resist the authority that they claim to acknowledge is like beating your head against the wall. You ever tried it? Somebody who knows all the stuff, knows all the stories, and you, but you can't convince them that they really don't know Jesus. They just know stories about Him. Secondly, the Israelites in your life should listen, but they don't. Verse 4, chapter 2, the children are obstinate and hard-hearted. <laughs> uh, the words there mean they're stiff of neck. We talked about that a few weeks ago. You yank on the the rope and the horse doesn't move. They're stubborn, digging their heels in. Uh, Yeah, I've heard it all before, blah, blah, blah. 
In, in chapter 3, verse 4, he says, Go to the house of Israel and speak my words. Verse 5, you're not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language, but to the house of Israel. You're not being sent to many peoples of unintelligible speech or difficult language whose words you cannot understand. No doubt, if I sent you to them, they'd listen. He's being sent to people who ought to listen, who know all the stuff. He's not being sent to somebody where there's going to be a language barrier. I don't speak the same language. I'm not sure we understand one another. He's going to them and they know exactly what he's telling them. They understand the language, the wording, all the stories, but it goes in one ear and out the other. You know what it's like. Let me just tell you, it, it, this makes me think of just how vital it is. We, we see all the children, I listen to them sing, we pray for them as they come down. It is so vital, and hear me if you're a parent or a grandparent, if you have some influence over children whatsoever. It is so vital that we teach our children more than just stories. That we teach them more than just rules, more than just the series of do's and don'ts and oughts and ought nots. We, we must teach them to love Jesus. We must teach them to submit to His authority. Because here's the thing. There are lots and lots and lots and lots of people who grew up in church, heard all the stories, followed all the rules, and never met Jesus. Never met Him. They met the church. They followed the rules of the church. They did everything right. They sat in their seat. They kept their hands where they are supposed to. They kept quiet when they were supposed to. They stood up and they did all the right things and they never met Jesus. And I wish that weren't true, but it is. We have to, we must, if we have influence over children, we have to target their hearts, not just their heads, not just their behavior. We've got to target their hearts. If not, they will grow up and they should listen, but they won't. It will go in one ear and out the other. I've heard all of it before. you got nothing new to tell me. Yeah, I get it. God loves me. Jesus died for me. Okay, good. I'm not supposed to do this, right? I should do this. I'll come to church. I shouldn't do this. shouldn't say those words. Okay, I got it. And they miss it because they never met Jesus. They should listen, these Israelites, to God's spokesman. But they don't. When you're dealing with people like that, it's like beating your head against the wall. Because people who have grown up in church, who know all the stories, and they've heard it all before, and all it was was a series of rules and do's and don'ts, and we ought to do this, and I shouldn't do that. They should listen. But they've, they're not going to. They're done with it. They've heard it all. The Israelites in your life, not only will they not listen, but they'll rub you the wrong way. It's so descriptive in Ezekiel chapter 2. It's such a great story. In fact, this is one of my real favorite passages uh, to look at the calling of what a true minister of God is supposed to be doing. And I don't include only myself in that. I include all of us. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. He says, But, Son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words, though briars and thorns are beside you, and you live among scorpions. You know, he's talking about the Israelites. He's talking about the people that he's sending Ezekiel. They're like thorns and thistles and scorpions. Don't be afraid of their words or be discouraged by the look on their faces, for they are a rebellious house. It's not surprising that Ezekiel would be a little bit afraid of this kind of... Imagine if God showed up and said, hey, I'm gonna, I've got a great plan for your life. I, I'm calling you to an incredible mission. You're going to go to people who hate you. 
They, 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 they won't like anything you have to say. In fact, it's going to feel as if all they want to do is insult you and mock you and ignore you and hang you out to dry. And it's going to be so incredible. It's going to feel like you're walking through a pasture stepping on scorpions and constantly being scraped and maimed and harmed by thorns and thistles. You ready? It would be crazy if we didn't see it in the Scripture. We would think, what? What? Is, what? He says, don't be afraid of them. He uses the same word that we find over and over in the Bible that's used for the fear of God. Don't be in awe of them. Don't be cowering in their presence. Don't worry about what they can do to you. Don't be afraid of them, even though their words might hurt you, even though their actions might be cruel. Everywhere you turn, Ezekiel, you're going to have thorns and thistles, scorpions. You might be injured by them. You might be cut by their words. You might be put down. You might be dismissed. You might be mocked, ignored. You might be insulted. The looks on their faces will be anything but welcoming. They're going to roll their eyes at you. They're going to give you the smirks. They're going to give you looks of anger. And that could easily lead to fear. It could easily lead, he says, to being dismayed and discouraged. And you feel like you just want to give up. But he says, Ezekiel, regardless of what you face, regardless of the opposition, regardless of how much they rub you the wrong way, go anyway. Now, your Israelites might be people who, by their actions, they just offend you. <laughs> they should know better. Why are they doing this? I mean, this isn't what they were taught. They haven't been raised this way. Why are they doing these things? I mean, it's so offensive to me. This is not what we taught them. Maybe they've turned their backs completely on what they were taught, and it just drives you crazy. They cause you to feel hurt, and they just dismiss you. I don't want to hear that. Leave me alone. Who are you to tell me anything? I know about you. They leave you hurt and insulted and disappointed and discouraged, and you want to give up. It's like beating your head against the wall. But I want you to see a few things from Ezekiel's calling that I hope will give you encouragement. Because that's all the bad news. I mean, that's true. And I want to make sure you understand all that. Because to be fair to you, as, as I speak this morning on behalf of God, I want to give you the full story. I want you to understand it's not always going to be easy. It won't always be roses. It might only be thorns. <laughs> but three things about their response. First of all, you are not judged by their response. Verse 5 of chapter 2. Whether they listen or refuse to listen, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. If responsiveness to the message that Ezekiel was going to be preaching to them was the, the measure of success, then his mission is doomed from the start. God said they're not going to respond. So if he's judged by their response, then he is a complete failure. You see, you see that? I mean, if God is going to say, Ezekiel, I want you to go to these people and, and, and listen, they, they, you, you, you get them to respond to me. I mean, you, you preach and, and listen, so long as you get a certain amount of people to respond, I, everything's cool, I'm going to be fine with you. 
But if you don't get a certain amount of people to respond to this, we got some problems. God didn't say any of that. He says, I'm going to judge your mission by whether or not they recognize that a prophet has been among them. How faithful are you to what I'm giving you to do? How faithful are you, Ezekiel, for 22 years to beat your head against the wall? Will you keep doing it? That's what I've told you to do. Are you going to keep going? Now, I'll be honest with you. There's nothing that creates a bigger dilemma for pastors than this. Tomorrow, there's a pastor's conference at the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Tuesday, the Kentucky Baptist Convention meets in Bowling Green. There are going to be lots of pastors there. I'm going to tell you this. Tomorrow at the pastor's conference, if I were to show you the list of of, of speakers, there's not a single one of them that's pastoring a church the size of Elm Grove. Not a single one. Now, I'm just, full disclosure, you don't know, hopefully you know by now, I'm going to try to be straight with you. They, they are pastors of huge churches for the most part. Huge. Now, I, I served, I grew up in a huge church. Just, I understand, I, know what that's, I don't have anything against big churches. I love them. I think they're great. I don't have anything against small churches. Love them. I think they're great. But this is a dilemma. Because out there, even in Christian world, even in Kentucky Baptist Convention world, pastors largely are judged by the size of your church. you got a big church. Ooh, you must be doing something right. you got a smaller church. Well, we'll pray for you. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, listen, that sounds really exaggerated, but that's how it is. <laughs> Judge by the size of your church or the response after the sermon. I've seen pastors who can manipulate the, the altar call. Man, they're good. I saw a pastor once who said, I want everybody to come down and you pray if you know somebody in your life who does not know Jesus. Okay. That's everybody in the church. Man, they're all at the altar. I mean, you want to judge the sermon by how much response you get, how many people fall on their knees and pray. I can get you to come down after the service. I'm just going to tell you that. I can do it. But I don't believe the sermon is judged by how many people come down and fall on their face at the end of it. It's judged on the faithfulness to God's word. Did you preach it the way that God wanted to be preached? It's a dilemma because... We're often judged on the external. And I say this, it's not just a dilemma for, for pastors, because I really believe that nothing creates a bigger dilemma for you and me as we go to make disciples, then what will we do if people don't respond? Have I failed? When I've been working for years to try to get an opportunity to talk to this person, and I do, and they dismiss me completely. I mean, I did everything right. I tried to love them. I served them. I didn't say anything that was overly offensive. I tried to figure out what the need is in their life and try to help them. And you know what? They told me to go away in so many words. I mean, have I failed? I mean, is that, okay, you know, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I really messed that one up. God's measure of success for people that he sends on mission is far different from what we think it is. God, God's definition of success is be obedient and faithful to what I've called you to do. And leave the results to me. Some believe that this morning, others don't. And if I were speaking to a room of pastors, you'd have about 25% who believed it and 75% who didn't. 
Jesus himself is the ultimate example, by the way. Because if you were to judge his mission, his life, his ministry, according to worldly success, he's the greatest failure who ever lived. Twelve guys is all you could rally? Three of those you really got to know a little bit and all of them ran away? Good job. They killed you? (laughs) Your ministry was so successful that they killed you. Nice work. You realize that Jesus did not judge himself. God the Father did not judge his son Jesus by how many people responded to his message, only by his obedience and his faithfulness to the call of God on his life. Jesus sent out the disciples. Do you know how many times he said, I want this many responses, this many baptisms, this many salvations? None. He never said it. He says, you go and you speak what I've told you to speak. You go and you love people. You go and you serve people. You go and be faithful to the mission I've given you. And that's going to be enough. Now, this is no excuse to do things half-heartedly. This is no excuse to do things without excellence. Not at all. We ought to do things. I'm telling you, the church ought to be the most creative organization on the planet. Why? Because we serve the most creative being who ever lived. We ought to be creative. We ought to be innovative. We ought to be cutting edge in some ways. We ought to do things as well as we can, but... At the end of the day, we're not judged on anything but our obedience and our faithfulness. You are not judged by their response. That person, that group that you've identified and you're beating your head against the wall, good news, you're not judged by their response. Only by your faithfulness. That ought to bring you a little bit of freedom this morning. Ought to bring you a little bit of boldness, a little bit of confidence. It ought to help you remember whose mission you're really on. It's not your mission. It's the Lord's mission. Your job is simply to ensure, as God said in verse 5, that there has been a man or woman of God among those people. If they receive the message, then give glory to God. And if they don't, and remember what God said in chapter 3, verse 7, they will not want to listen to you because they do not want to listen to me. They're rejecting God. Secondly, you're not threatened by their response. Chapter 2, verse 6. We read it before, do not be afraid of them or their words. Though briars and thorns are beside you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words or be discouraged by the look on their faces, for they are a rebellious house. But speak my words to them, whether they listen or refuse to listen, for they are rebellious. Let me just tell you, expect opposition. I mean, expect people who are far from God to operate as if they are far from God. It's not directed at you personally, even though it's going to feel that way. Ultimately, it's, it's directed at God, the ultimate authority that they resist. Several verses that I will give you to look up on your own. Let me just say that if you need some encouragement this morning, write these verses down and use them as some study time this week. Psalm chapter 118, verses 5 through 9. Psalm 118, 5 through 9. Matthew chapter 5. Verses 10 through 12. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. 1 John 4, 4. 1 John 4, 4. John 16, 33. John 16, 33. Romans 8, 31. Romans 8, 31. And Hebrews 13, 5. Hebrews 13.5. What you're going to find there is a question. What can man do to me? Encouragement from Jesus. Blessed are you when people insult you. 
You're going to find encouragement. Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. You'll find words from Jesus. Take heart, I've overcome the world. You'll find a promise, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Ezekiel, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. I'm with you. I'm for you. I have sent you. You're not threatened by their response. No matter what they do, they can't truly touch you. You are secure forever. If you are in Jesus Christ and have given your life to Him, you are secure forever. Yes, it's going to hurt. Yes, humanly speaking, it's no fun at all. But you are not truly threatened by their response. And then thirdly, you're not controlled by their response. I love this part of chapter 3. Verse 8. Look, behold, the King James says, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Isn't that great? I have made your forehead like a diamond, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or discouraged by the look on their faces, even though they are... A rebellious house. God told him in chapter 2, verse 8, don't let their response change your character. You're not controlled by them, so don't become rebellious like them. Don't, Don't get yourself on their level. Don't do what they do. Don't get down on their level and and give in to those things. Remain faithful to the Lord even if you go alone. You're not controlled by their response. And and in verses 8 and 9 here of chapter 3, don't let their response change the message that you're giving. He says, I've made your face as hard as their faces. can be substituted for your mood or your attitude. They're hard-headed, guess what? You're going to be more hard-headed. But in a holy and really good way. You know, it's not always bad to be hard-headed. Those of you that are extremely hard-headed this morning, that's probably all you're going to take from the sermon. And you're going to tell everybody all week long, did you hear what he said? It's okay for me to be hard-headed. Yeah, so long as you're hard-headed toward the things of God, absolutely. God promised to make Ezekiel as tough in standing in the face of their opposition as those folks were in giving the opposition. What a great promise. Don't we need to be made more hard-headed for the things of God to say, Lord, I'm not giving in no matter what. And let me encourage you also, don't don't let their response change your sense of calling. There, There are several times, in fact, he says, I am sending you or I have sent you He says those words four different times in these two chapters. He addresses him as son of man. He he tells him, look, you're you're my guy. He he says that in chapter 2, verse 1, verse 3, verse 6, verse 8, chapter 3, verse 1, verse verse 3, verse 4, and verse 10. Over and over, he reinforces this sense of calling on Ezekiel's life. Why should we continue to preach the gospel and reach out and try to make disciples of people who are hard-headed and won't listen? Why? Because God is sovereign and that's what he's called us to do. And if he wants to use us in that way, then that's his prerogative. It's a tough ministry. Not everybody is going to be called to that. I'll just tell you. Some folks, we envy these people. They're called to a harvest ministry and it seems like they don't have to say anything. And people just flock to Jesus. Billy Graham was like that. Drove me crazy. Love Billy Graham, but my goodness, I went to one of his one of his uh, crusades in Louisville several years ago, and of course, toward the end of his career, and I saw him at the you know toward toward the end, he preached a sermon, and I thought, okay, it's good stuff, nothing spectacular, and all he says for the invitation is come home. Man, they came from everywhere. 
I'm going to try that. There's some people that God simply calls as harvesters. You know what? There's other people that God calls as diamonds harder than flint. Beat your head against the wall and keep doing it. Keep going. You're not judged by their response. You're, you're not threatened by their response. And you're not controlled by their response. So here's what you do in response to that. You go. Whether they listen or not. Whether they listen or not, chapter 2, verse 5, they will know that a prophet has been among them. Whether they listen or not, verse 7 of chapter 2, speak my words. Whether they listen or not, chapter 3, verse 11, go and speak and tell them, thus saith the Lord. Now let me tell you, there were two things that were distinctive about Ezekiel's ministry that you can't miss this morning. That you can't just get excited and say, all right, I guess God's called me to beat my head against the wall, so I'm just going to go do it. Two things that you can't miss. The first is in verse 2 of chapter 2. As he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me. You must be full of God's Spirit. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus, let me just tell you this. God's Spirit already lives inside of you, but there is something about the filling of God's Spirit that is different from the indwelling of God's Spirit. The filling of God's Spirit means that you are anointed and sent out, and you have His empowerment and His encouragement, and you go on His behalf. That does not mean that if you don't go with those things, you've lost your salvation. That's not what I'm talking about. But we need to be filled. Paul said in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit. God, anoint me. Fill me up. Encourage me. Strengthen me today. And secondly, in chapter 2, verse 8, through chapter 3, verse 3, we get this weird little interchange here. where We find out that Ezekiel was not only full of God's Spirit, but he was full of God's Word. God says, eat what I'm giving you. And he hands him a scroll and he consumes it. A metaphor for our consumption of God's word. He says to eat it, which means to devour or consume. Not just taste it. And let me encourage you, if you're a believer in Jesus this morning, you need more than just a taste of God's word if you're going to be effective as a witness for him. You need to be filled with it, consumed with it. You need to ingest it and let it become part of you, not just tasting it. These two things, being full of God's Spirit, being full of God's Word, that's what made Ezekiel fearless. That's what made him encouraged. That's what brought him empowerment. That's what helped him to be undeterred in the face of opposition. That's what made him sure of his calling. And this calling to go and make disciples is not just for Old Testament prophets or some modern-day spiritual elite. It's for everybody who's a believer in Jesus. Everybody needs to be filled with His Spirit and full of His Word. And so maybe your response this morning is simply to receive that calling on your life, to say, Lord, I'll go even if it means that I'm beating my head against the wall. Maybe you need to simply ask Him, Lord, I I need you to fill me with Your Spirit. I mean, I'm discouraged. I'm frustrated. God, I need your anointing on my life. Maybe it's a commitment to daily consume the Scriptures. Maybe it's been a while, and you blow the dust off that Bible, and you say, Lord, I've, I've got to have your Word as a part of me. In closing, let me say this. 
As I preach this sermon, we all believe, and as we read this story, we're Ezekiel. But the truth is, for some, maybe even many, we're the Israelites. And maybe, just maybe, this morning, you'd hear from God, and you would admit, God, I've resisted your authority. God, I haven't listened to a word you've said. God, I, I've, I've, I've wanted nothing to do with you. I've never given my life completely to you. Lord, I know all the stories. I've, I've been in church for a long time. I've grown up in it. I mean, I can, I can recite all the verses. I know all 66 books of the Bible. I can read them backwards. But I've never met Jesus. I've never truly given my life to him. And, and you, you're not Ezekiel in this story. You're the Israelites. You're the one who needs to be reached this morning by the power of God's Spirit. For others, of course, you may say, I'm struggling with this mission God has given me. I know there's something more to my life than taking up space and breathing air and just going to work every day. I'm struggling, though, because it doesn't feel like anything's being effective. Lord, would you encourage me? Lord, would you anoint me? God, would you send me out again? I wonder this morning, how will you, based upon what you've heard from the Scripture... Whether you consider yourself as Ezekiel and you're hearing those words or you recognize this morning, I'm on the other side of that. How will you say yes to the Lord this morning? I want you to know that Jesus absolutely loves you. His mission was to come and to die for the sinful world, and he did it. He lived perfectly the life that we couldn't live. He died a sacrificial death that we deserved, but he didn't stay dead. God raised him up, the Bible tells us. And He promises new life and then eternal life for all who will believe in Him. What's your yes this morning to the Lord? Is it about that? Maybe it's about the mission that God has given you. I want you to to feel free to come down here and pray. To pray right there at your seat. To talk to God. To come and ask me for prayer. Whatever it may be. How is it that you need to say yes to the Lord this morning? Is it public? Is it private? Is it both? Don't leave this morning without receiving the calling that God has given you on your life to go out and be on mission for Him, even if it means you beat your head against the wall. But also don't miss, maybe He's talking to you as an Israelite. Maybe it's time to fully yield to Him. Let's pray. In the next couple of moments, you'll have complete freedom. When we stand, you can remain seated if you need to do business with God. Maybe get on your knees right there. Or maybe you'd like to come down the aisle and, and say, Look, I, I, I need you to pray for me in this area. Or, or I need to pray by myself. Or I, I need to give my life to Jesus today. I don't even know what that means. Can you help me? Can you show me what that means? Or maybe you, you've never been baptized and you say, I want to make my faith in Jesus a public thing. Maybe this morning you say, this is the church that I know God wants me to be a part of. Can you tell me what I need to know about joining this church? Whatever your yes needs to be, I pray you do it. God, help us this morning to say yes to you. Thank you for the example that we see that even when we're beating our head against the wall with somebody, Lord, 
We're not judged by that response. Thank you for that. Lord, encourage us. I pray you'd fill us with your spirit that we would make the choice daily to fill ourselves to consume your word. Send us out, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.